1: And we got a huge podcast on tap for tonight. Uh, We're kind of setting the stage for uh, National Signing Day for the Oregon Ducks with the 2022 class, Ducks After Dark. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you are tuning in to the uh, live stream here on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus, thank you guys for stopping on by and definitely head over to the live chat comment section and and throw some questions our way. We will do the best to answer them, whether it be recruiting or anything Oregon football related. Uh, we definitely want to get you guys, uh, you know, more involved and, and interact with you. Uh, and if you're watching on replay, let us know how you're feeling heading into signing day for the ducks. Uh, I am joined by my good friend, Stephen Blanchette. He's a, a writer for us ducks digest and, and he's become a regular on these podcasts. Uh, Steven, how are you doing? Uh, post 49ers loss. I was there with you. It was a tough time.
2: I'm wearing black for a reason, right? I'm in mourning. <laughs> no, it was a, it was a tough loss. It was, uh, it was. I don't. It's gonna. I'm just gonna get sad if I get into it. It was a great game. Uh, you know, both teams obviously played really hard, but, um, I'm I'm not I'm I'm glad that signing day is just around the corner, so I can focus some of that uh some of that energy on that into something a little more positive.
1: I hear you. I'm I'm excited for signing day. It, it was definitely tough seeing the the Niners go down. Um, it was fun to to be watching it with another Niner fan because I feel like I don't get to do that too often unless I'm I'm back home uh, in the Bay. So that was great. Uh, but yeah, let's get into to some recruiting talk, man. Uh, we we do have some some uh, questions here, so we're gonna get to some of those. And then uh, if you guys have questions, definitely throw it throw it our way. Uh, kind of throughout this uh, this episode of the pod, this live stream, and we'll kind of bounce back and forth because we had some stuff that Stephen and I wanted to hit on. Um, But obviously, like I said, we want to see what questions you guys have. So let's start things off here. Question from Andrew. Thanks for the question, Andrew. Do you think if Uli signs, it improves the odds Connerly comes to Oregon? Um, You know, so for people who, uh, you know, aren't super entrenched in recruiting, let's just try to paint the full picture. Uh, So Dave Uli is a 2022 offensive lineman out of Puyallup, Washington, uh, a former commit for the Ducks um so you know i think that when you're looking at how the ducks can finish in the 2022 class a great place to start is those former commits and the good thing with yuli is that he was one of the guys that was actually on campus for a visit this past weekend so with him announcing his commitment on national signing day the ducks did get that last impression uh but as far as uh you know if it if it uh improves the odds that connerly comes to oregon that's kind of a tough one for me to tackle because I think when I'm looking at Yuli, I feel like what helps Oregon's angle is that he can kind of be the, the headliner of this offensive line hall, right? When you look at the talent that the ducks lost after Mario Cristobal and Alex, Mirabal left. Now you have Michael Wooten and Katika Rogers, and Yuli's kind of that big fish still left on the board, uh, along with Connerly, obviously, but, uh, I think Yuli's is a more realistic option right now since, uh, Connerly is kind of, uh, He said that he's going to be pushing his decision uh, out until March. So he said he's not going to be deciding on uh, February 2nd. So I don't know if I'd say it improves the odds um, necessarily. I think the numbers are are a little tricky and that's something you have to keep in mind with any situation, right, Steven? Um, And I mean – I guess I can say this. I think it improves the, their chances with Connolly uh, on the basis of good players want to come with, to play with good players, right? You know, if you see if a guy like Connerly sees Yuli come into to Oregon, then uh, I think that that would uh, you know maybe increase the appeal a little bit because you know, these guys aren't scared of competition. At the end of the day, if you're if you're a, a real a real good big time prospect, you're not going to run away from competition. I agree. That is, I think, the only real impact it might
2: have. Is that you know? It would just be another signal that Oregon is a premier program that recruits top talent at every position.
1: I'm sorry, you say program. Program. <laughs> we are a program podcast. We're sorry, a program podcast. catch you.
2: I'm glad. Keep doing it because I need to get in the habit. But I, I think really that's the only impact it would have. Uh, but like you said. Great players generally want to have competition, and they know that competition in practice breeds excellence in games. And so that's really the only impact I think it would have. Yuli uh, is going to be I, – I, he's one of the guys I'm most intrigued about just because he falls into that category of guys who decommitted when everything happened with Cristobal, right? And so I'm, I'm interested to see what the overall – like what the outcome is with him but all of those guys because we mentioned this a little bit last – you know podcast that we did but when crystal left it sort of felt like the sky was falling a little bit here in eugene and recruiting was kind of the face of that right like he was such a great recruiter what are we going to do about the class everyone's going to leave so that clearly hasn't you know exactly happened right there's obviously been fall off but it hasn't been i think as bad as anybody really anticipated so if yuli ends up coming to oregon I think that really sort of flips that narrative on its head, at least for a, you know, for, for a guy who's a, you know, big time signing.
1: Yeah. And I think also this would be a big addition for the ducks just because yeah, you see him just absolutely leveling Jesus. guys in his tape. Yeah. Uh, if, if you guys are watching here on, on the live stream. Um, but I think this would be a, a big priority and big addition for the ducks. Cause you know, Dan Lanning obviously he knows firsthand how important it is to win in the trenches. And that's kind of what the ducks, I think they need to do a little bit more, um, you know, with the offensive line, I think you have a really good group in place right now, uh, with everybody, but George Moore coming back for next year, but you want to continue shoring up that depth and bringing guys in that, that are able to contribute. Um, you know, I just just really like how violent Yuli is. Um, that obviously is a big thing that stands out for him and then his mobility for, for a guy of his size. Um, but, yeah, so we, we talked about, you know, kind of some of the 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 trenches and kind of where we uh, view his, uh, you know, decision in, in the context of his 2022 class. Um, but I was trying to think if, if there was anything else I wanted to say about Uli. Yeah, I uh, mean, as you can see right here with the tape, it's actually a great point
2: right now. He's versatile enough to play offense and defense, I think. In college as well, obviously, most guys play both sides of the ball in high school, but I've been reading some stuff where he is projected to potentially based on team need be down there on both sides of the ball, which I think would be really, really interesting. Uh, So that's something to keep an eye out as well. I think probably smaller chance than than that, you know, that that would actually happen. It would have certainly be based on need. Right. Somebody would probably go down for that to happen. But just the fact that you've got a guy that that's big, who's athletic enough to even be in that conversation, I think is really, really interesting. And, uh, yeah, again, like you, you, hit that nail on the head there. The trenches are, it's where everything starts. And so with the elite linebackers that Oregon has coming back next year, which I think is the strongest part of his team, the, it's just all the more important to have that depth over there in the trenches and have those big guys be able to plug up holes so that those linebackers can run, run free
1: and make plays. Absolutely. For, for you, Lee, uh, as far as uh, tomorrow and kind of, um, you know, what you guys need to keep tabs on, what you know, Oregon fans are going to be keeping tabs on. He's set to make his decision on CBS Sports HQ at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. So that's 3.30 for uh, us West Coast folks out here. Um, let's talk about his finalists for a second, Stephen. Uh, Final three of Oregon, USC, and Miami. Um, you know, we all know the story about Mario Cristobal uh, leaving Oregon to take the job at Miami. Um, and, you know, this is an instance that we see a lot with um, various coaches that have uh, taken new jobs. You know, Lincoln Riley is a prime example of, of uh, you know, taking players from your uh, former roster or your former recruiting class and trying to get them to follow you to, you know, your new stop. And we saw just how real Yuli's interest was, um, you know, in Miami and in uh, reuniting with Mirabal and Cristobal by taking that official visit. But I think in, you know, the 11th hour. Signing days, you know, signing day eve is kind of where we're at right now, right? I think that distance becomes a lot more real. You know, he's probably going, you know, talking to his family, and those thoughts are kind of going through it through his mind of, um, you know, am I really gonna? Uh, how realistic is it for me, or do I really want to go uh, thousands of miles across the country away from my family? I know from the reporting that our Dylan Ruben King did um, before his first commitment to Oregon. Um, that uh, he was talking about how important family was. Uh, so th- I know that that's going to be, you know, something that's probably uh, thinking he's thinking about a lot as he uh, kind of mulls over his decision uh, before making it a final tomorrow.
2: Yep. Uh, just, it obviously was very important to him, the relationship with Mirabal and, you know, the kind of, the kind of mentorship and, you know, coaching he was going to get under his tutelage here at Oregon. So th- that's my biggest kind of worry in terms of if if i think what his final football decision would be is that relationship with Mira Ball, since obviously that was very strong from th- his initial recruitment but yeah family is clearly really important to the kid and that distance is about as far as you can get from eugene so we'll see like you said 11th hour is when those crucial family conversations are happening right that's when they're all sitting around the table really deciding you know what's going to happen if the guy hasn't decided already so um when the family's getting tight and really talking about what's important, you know, maybe, maybe that distance is going to be, you know, the thing that kind of sways it if all things are somewhat equal on the football side.
1: And then the, the last kind of point I wanted to hit on with, with Yuli Steven, um, it's kind of what we were talking about before we we hit record was just, I think, uh, another kind of aspect that shows us that recruiting is kind of a science or it's like a, a big chessboard. Um, and what I mean by that is that the Ducks hosted a ton of 2022 visitors over the weekend. Yuli was obviously one of them, but a lot of commits uh, were on campus as well. So I think you know having the, that final impression is another thing going in Oregon's favor. Having those uh, commits, uh, some of them former commits, some of them current commits, uh, you know, there with him, you know, being able to kind of uh, you know reinvigorate those relationships. Be like, hey, man, this is why you fell in love with Oregon. You know, the plan still the same. We still want to, you know, go win that national championship, bring that first one to Eugene, and we want to be you to be a part of it. I think that really is, is something that you kind of have to think about when you're looking at kind of these uh, these recruits that are making decisions on National Sign Day tomorrow that we're here in Eugene uh, because uh, that's just an, another thing that kind of goes into the whole strategy of, of when you want certain people to be coming onto campus.
2: Sorry, yeah, the campus visits are – huge in the, the timing of them i think is the biggest aspect of it so you're right like having all these crucial guys here this past weekend it you it's, it goes back to something we talked about last podcast is the recency factor the recency bias that goes into it so uh, from what i've been reading on the reports of these past visits these weekends for everybody who was on campus across the board apparently everything went very well
1: yeah no doubt i, th- I think that um you know, just from what we've seen from this staff, I, there's not really any reason to think that it didn't go well, right? You know, we really don't hear too many reports or I don't really even hear from many recruits when I talk to these guys that the, a visit went poorly. Um, So, you know, I think part of that just boils down to Oregon's an easy product to sell. Um, you know, you have uh, you have Miami, uh, obviously one of his finalists, like we've said, they, they're rebuilding. That's just kind of how, that's the reality of it. I don't think Oregon's a rebuilding program, program, excuse me. Uh, it's a, uh, reloading program program and, uh, and, uh, then USC, I thought that they were going to be kind of a contender, but I really haven't been hearing or, or seeing too much smoke around Yuli and USC. So this really seems like it's probably an Oregon, Miami battle, um, for, uh, you know, for Yuli. Yeah. I haven't heard too much smoke around USC
2: either here in the final days and hours heading into signing day. So I think it is also a two
1: horse race here. And I, I really think it's, it's up, up in the air. All right. So I think the Ducks are in a great spot with Yuli. Wouldn't be a surprise at all for me if, if he ends up uh, committing. But uh, we want to get to some of these other questions, talk about some other recruits as the Ducks you know, go full steam ahead and turn all their focus to National Signing Day tomorrow. I'm sure a lot of these coaches you know, aren't going to be sleeping too much tonight. But once they get some signatures tomorrow and those letters of intent come through, uh, then they'll be able to uh, kind of take a little bit of a breather. We got our next question here coming from John. Thanks for the question, John. Uh, His question is, how will the Ducks fill the cleats of Thibodeau? This is a great question. And uh, honestly, I think just after seeing how things have developed since, uh, you know, Cristobal's departure, since Kayvon Thibodeau and all of the other Ducks officially declared for their draft, for the NFL draft, I'm not saying this to sound pessimistic, but I'm not so sure you can fill cleats of Kayvon Thibodeau especially in this class this late that doesn't mean that they're not going to get some solid players tomorrow but I I think that you know you look at a generational talent like Thibodeau and their top option to fill the those uh cleats um as this question was phrased was Cyrus Moss and where did he end up he ultimately ended up at Miami um which was just absolutely crazy just when you look at the timeline of how his recruitment unfolded and you got to you got to give some props to Mario Cristobal for, for getting him out there for one of the shortest official visits ever. Um, but still ultimately getting the job done. So I don't know if they filled the cleats of Thibodeau in this class, but I think with this question, we could talk a little bit about uh, some more defensive line stuff. Um, if, if you had something you wanted to say on that one, Stephen, while I pull out some other stuff.
2: Well, that's exactly, actually, I was going to say that, that, you know, those shoes were supposedly supposed to be filled by, by Moss. And so that obviously didn't come to fruition, but I was going to say the same thing too. I don't, I don't really think that the shoe, the cleats are going to be filled by anybody in this class, at least not completely, maybe three quarters of the way filled, but KT's a special, special talent. He was a, you know, the number one guy in the entire country out of his class for a reason. And I don't think you just plug and play a guy like that. So I don't know if anybody really fills the cleats, and i think to be honest it's for that specific question and it was a great question by the way something i've pondered a lot cuz kt was you know my favorite one of my favorite guys to watch in the past few seasons is uh i think really it comes out of who's on the squad now and some of the guys that have to step up that are already that already have some experience as opposed to a 2022 kid
1: yeah you look at some of the the pieces that the ducks have on the roster currently. Um sorry my internet might have pooped out there for for a second. Oh okay it's a little bit delayed. Um but hopefully everyone can still sorry if I'm having uh, issues here. Um but Braden Swinson was a guy that uh you know had some flashes in the 2021 season and I I think that he's in a great uh, position especially under Dan Lanning to to really take a big step forward in, in 2022 Uh, and then Trevin, Mai is another big body, uh, that I thought I think still has a a ton of potential, you know, his body talk about total transformation since he got to Eugene. I think he put on something like 30 pounds since he got here to, uh, you know, take on a a bigger role on the edge for the ducks. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's going to be something super hard and and I'm not sure it'll be filled on the recruiting trail in this class, but no doubt that'll be a priority for landing and company in 23 yeah and I, I think Dorless Brandon Dorless is going to be
2: you know one of the main guys called on next season to be able to step in and and he did it this past season when KT was out and injured with his ankle. Dorless stepped up Dorless played great in, against Ohio State as well in Columbus so he uh, he's a kid I think he also won most improved player for the team. I think they voted him that uh, saw that somewhere or he he got that from somebody. Uh, pardon my lack of actual, uh, citation on that there, but I did see that, that that, that happened. So, um, he's one of the top, I think overall returning guys on the team and he's, he's somebody that I really look to be able to step in and, and fill that kind of role.
1: Yeah. Hold on one second. I'm going to try to try to do something here on my uh, screen sharing. I think I remember where you saw Dorless got a most improved because we voted him most improved. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that it was, was us. Uh, I was like, I, don't I know it was about,
2: right in front of me. And I was like, was it the team or did we do it? It was us who did it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Citation so, but, lesson, kids. Dor- Dorlis is a guy to watch for sure. But since we're on the topic of defensive line, um, I think another update that we can kind of, uh, you know, mix in here on this topic along the defensive line is Kristen Miller. Uh, he's a 2022 defensive lineman out of Georgia was on campus for uh, a visit a couple weeks ago. Uh, spent some time with Dan Landing and company, but he recently announced that he would be choosing from a top four of Miami, Ohio State, Florida A and M, and Georgia tomorrow. So Ducks, you know, officially out of contention there. Miami got the last visit, um, and and I think that when you see a move like that happen, it might kind of give us a little bit of uh, insight into. Why we saw the Ducks, uh, take a commitment from Jordan Riley, Jordan Riley. I don't know if it's Jordan or Jordan Riley, the Nebraska transfer defensive lineman who who committed over the weekend. So, um, so we we still don't really, see, uh, you know, to this question, we don't really see you know a Thibodeau t- kind of replacement player in this conversation right now. But I think you're you're only helping yourself if you um you know take your take more big bodies in the trenches. And then I saw another comment um, from uh, Josh in the chat talking about Brandon Buckner. Uh, I think he's a guy that um, is, is just oozing potential. And we, he, he was even in there uh, during the Ohio state game. So, you know, the staff ha- has a ton of confidence in him, uh, you know, to to really be someone who steps up and, and can kind of elevate their game in 22.
2: Yep. And just real quick on Jordan Riley, uh, you know, that was somewhat of a surprising ad. I didn't, you know, I, I was shocked is too strong of a word, but a little bit surprised. But uh, looking at that, it just it, he's six six, like over 300 pounds, like regardless of maybe a lack of, you know, putting up huge numbers at Nebraska, like with Landing and company, at, uh, you know, plug and playing that kid. I think that that's that's potentially a really important get. It's not like huge, but situationally, he's somebody who can come in and, you know. All he needs to do is plug up a hole. He's 6'6, six, six, 300 plus pounds. You could oftentimes have to just purely have to double that on a run. And that's going to open up lanes for these linebackers. And that's, again, I'm going to keep hitting on that every time we're talking about the line because that's what I'm most overall excited to see for Oregon next season is that linebacker core at full strength, Sewell, Flow, just ears pinned back, ready to attack. And that all starts with the guys up front. So Riley, I think, is going to be. Really important to that scheme um, when it comes to just getting a body in there. Somebody who's big and athletic and is going to take two and maybe four hands uh, to make sure that he doesn't get on the ball carrier.
1: Ducks definitely adding uh, a lot of uh, depth on on the interior of the defensive line. Yeah. Uh, you look at Popo amavai coming back for another season. That's huge. uh You look at the Ducks going back into the portal before they got Riley to to get Sam Taimani out of uh, Washington. Um, and I think if if you bring in a guy like um, like Riley, it kind of helps. I think offset a little bit of the loss with, with Jason Jones. Um, he was a guy that I was super excited about. Um, you know, he was really starting to to take a little bit of a step further. He got his first sack against Washington State, I believe, last year. Um, and and I think you just want to add those big bodies. So I don't want to I don't want to hit that point too many times. Um, I want to move on to our next question as we preview uh, and get into National Signing Day for the ducks in 2022 tomorrow on Wednesday question from Mikey G other than two, four, seven Twitter, go ducks. Where will you guys be keeping tabs on everything tomorrow? I am so glad that this got asked. Um, so yeah, those are all great resources as well. You definitely want to uh, follow me on Twitter at M sports to, uh, cause I'll be following it the entire day and making sure to keep you guys updated on everything Oregon football related tomorrow as it pertains to the recruiting trail. But we are also going to have a national signing day, tracker story over on duck's digest so we'll be uh, updating that in real time as the uh, you know national letters of intent come in as uh, commitments get announced so um, I'll be up early tomorrow morning uh, you know with that story ready to go so that you guys don't miss out on any of the latest updates so definitely stay tuned into that um, and then uh, we'll be going live again um, I'm not sure if Stephen will be free or not but I know I will be going live again either myself or with one, another one of our writers uh, tomorrow. So that's definitely what you guys want to do to, uh, stay tuned into everything that's going on. And I had another question. Let me just, uh, scroll through here. Um, this is, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to go back to the same person, but it's a good question. Uh, Mikey G asks, is James a lock or is he just trolling us for stealing land? I mean, James, who is a, current verbal commit to georgia okay hold on a second my my wife is my Wi-Fi going weird for you
2: it's a little no. bit yeah
1: okay i really hope this is a stream but i should be on ethernet so i'm gonna try something really quick just bear with me just bear with me folks sorry about this um okay can you still hear me okay loud and clear okay cool i just tried to switch to ethernet so hopefully that works Sorry folks for the technical difficulties. So Jordan James 2022 verbal commit to Georgia comes out to Eugene for a visit. And uh, you know, that, that visit went pretty well. Uh, And then Carlos Lachlan made sure to get back in front of him with an in-home visit. I think that you see, you know, things working out uh, pretty well. I I think that there was a report that he canceled his Florida visit. um, And I think that would bode well for the ducks. Um, And then you look at, you know, kind of how these other recruiting dominoes are setting up, right? Steven, you you have Andrew Paul, uh, Texas running back out of the Dallas area, who the Ducks really pushed for late, but unfortunately for them, so did a lot of other programs. Um, I hope I don't beat that to death, so maybe I don't need to use that too much. But a lot of other teams, you know, saw how much of a hidden gem he was, and uh, we see schools like Georgia, Clemson, uh, Michigan getting involved. Uh, Georgia got the final official visit. He was at Clemson the week before, and then uh, a new update that just came out today, Tuesday, February first, as we record this. Paul is going to be choosing his next school from a final three of Michigan, Clemson, and Georgia. So you see, Georgia got the last visit. I imagine that they knocked that out of the park. Maybe they're looking. We're looking at a little bit of a swap here. Paul goes to Georgia, and and James goes to Oregon. I'm not going to go as far as saying James is a lock, but he's uh, one of those guys that's still left on the board for the Ducks that I feel. Uh, I'm pretty confident I uh, could end up being uh, a duck when all things are said and done.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I I'm fairly confident. I, it, it just goes back to show how important potential recency factor can be. So, you know, the Oregon, the Oregon running back situation, as we know is let's call it a fluid one. And we're not exactly sure who's going to be in that room. And it's certainly one where we need some depth because while there's a lot of talent there, it's mostly unproven. So Jordan James would be a huge get. Uh, You know, it's funny. I I laughed. Is he, is he just trolling us for ceiling landing? That would be, that would be a long drawn out, cruel troll. Uh, Well played by Mr. James if so, but I, I I think, I think Oregon's got a good shot to be quite honest.
1: All right. Yeah. I I think that that the ducks have a good shot. There was another question that uh, I wanted to get into um, that was related to the running back. So uh, let me see if I can if I can pull it up because I think it, it could uh, have some good discussion. Um, do you think we'll see a two-back set in our new offense? Um, I think it would make sense to... Okay, I think I read this question wrong the first time that that uh, it came up. I was thinking like we're going to see a two-back rotation, but a two-back set, I think that's more so... Do we think we'll see multiple running backs on the field at the same time? Is that kind of what you're thinking, Steven? Yeah, that's how I interpret it. Um, I think that we could... We could see that more
2: in terms of maybe two backs lining up on either side of the quarterback and one motioning out. But I don't know how much we're going to see. And we're certainly not going to see a fullback out there uh, right in an I formation. That's not going to happen. So we're not going to center for that. So um, I'm not I'm not sure. That's a really good question. I'm curious to see it. Um, you know, when we're at the spring game, we'll certainly. Uh we'll, we'll certainly report on that. That's something that I'll make a note to report on and see if we see that, because I think the more uh, being a Niners fan, right, we can we can sort of loop that into that. You know, one of the things that makes the Niners really successful is their their motions and the, the eye candy that they give the defense. And a lot of that has to do with two running back sets, because if you've got, especially if you've got a running back who can come out of the backfield and catch it. And uh, I think I think Caldwell can do that. So um, if we've got a running back who is a passing threat uh, where we can get some, some motion, some, some misdirection, some play action, then two back sets would be super intriguing, but I honestly just don't know. I don't, to be honest, I, I, I haven't watched enough like Florida state film to, to really be able to confidently say that I think Dillingham's going to throw that in there.
1: And we don't even know, even if he's going to necessarily, you know, I, don't, I doubt it would be a carbon copy situation, of bringing over the Florida state offense to Eugene. I'm I'm sure he, if I'm dealing him, I'm looking at the offense aspects of the offense that worked in Tallahassee. And then how can I kind of tweak it and then, you know, evolve that. But when I think about this question, I think about seven McGee a little bit, you know, I think about how he's just so versatile and how we want to get him more involved, you know, get him in the slot, get him coming out of the backfield, move him around, get some motion, some reverses. I think if you look at seven McGee, And then some of the other backs here, but particularly McGee, I think if you do a two back set, then you can really kind of free yourself up a little bit more to move him around and get him more involved, which I think a lot of duck fans are, uh, you know, anxiously waiting for.
2: Yeah. And shame on me for not mentioning seven McGee first in that conversation. He's extremely versatile. We saw it in the Alamo bowl when he, you know, almost made that that incredible play, which I thought when when Brown, I believe he was what everyone thought was throwing the ball away. And out of nowhere, seven just darts across the screen and and uh, nearly makes an incredible play. So huge effort play, I think, as well. Big moment in that game. Uh, but, yeah, so shame on me for forgetting that because he's, he's incredibly versatile and he's somebody who I would love to see sprinting out of the background or the backfield with a linebacker, you know, wide-eyed, wondering, okay, where's this guy going to go? and hits him with a quick wheel route. I think that's That would be the two back sets like that. When we're getting into the red zone, the 40 yard line through the red zone, I think would be pretty fun to see.
1: Absolutely. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on, you know, what we see in, in spring football. It's man, it feels like it's so far away already, but like we're already entering like the final month of home basketball games, you know, since we're on February 1st. And, uh, I think maybe it's the first week of March that the last, uh, home basketball game is so uh you know i I love covering hoops but obviously i'm a football guy at heart so we uh we want to keep it rolling here on the ducks dish podcast live on youtube at oregon football max torres and check out our uh some more questions here in the chat this next one uh coming from matthew shane uh sorry it took me a sec to get to your question matthew uh he was like max mentally blocks me every time but i don't have it out for anybody Uh, except for uh, you know some spammers that come in the comments every now and then those are the people that I don't want in the chat but Matthew uh, off the radar signing for tomorrow I think this is this is a tricky one Um, but the the thing is I think since Oregon uh, you know there, there aren't really some really high expectations for this class and and this is Lanning's first class and and uh, they have to be careful with how they manage the numbers, especially with how much they've used the portal. I think they've used the portal a little bit more than I've expected, but at the same time, it's Sam not him. like your—it's not like a Lincoln Riley situation where you're taking uh, a bunch of people out of the portal, um, which we have to talk some more about that in a second here. I totally let that thing fly over my head, but I don't think I really have anybody off the radar right now, uh, Matt. Um, I think kind of the one of the wild card guys that um, we can talk about a little bit. Maybe that's an easier way to put it. Is uh, is going to be Arliss Bordingham because he's another guy who we've talked about multiple times on this show. But I think he's the biggest name to to keep an eye on right now when when you're looking at at pass catchers that the Ducks could still potentially add that are available in the 2022 class. Um, you know, with um, with with oh, this is not sorry, this is not what I thought it was. Give me just a second here, folks. I don't know what that video was. I was I was on Huddle, but I must have clicked the wrong thing. Uh RJ Stern from Last Chance You. I don't know how that came up. <laughs> but this is this is why you gotta be able to um this is why you gotta be able to improvise, folks. So give me just a second. Yeah, Let just me- speaking real quick on Boardingham while
2: Max gets that pulled up. Um that's somebody who I, I agree. If we're talking terms of off the radar, I don't know if he's necessarily fits that, but He's, I think, gotten a little less noise than some of the other, you know, potential signees for the class. Now, he's, I think, an important guy, though. Like for for landing to get, because clearly, and we'll talk about this further. We've talked about it plenty before. This staff is really trying to go, you know, the staff is really trying to turn this program into a defensive-minded one, and so that's fine and dandy, and we see how great it works out, but rarely. Even if your defense is incredible, are they scoring enough points to just win a ball game by themselves? So you got to have an offense that's going to be able to capitalize on those stops. That's something that a lot of fans, at least in the stands, um, you know, I think we're, we're really, you know, asking for last season is we were getting a lot of stops on defense, stepping up in big moments. And then the offense just didn't really do anything with it. And that can be really deflating for a defense, right? How do we get all these stops after stop after stop? The offense doesn't get anything done. So he's somebody where it just plugs into that importance of being able to solidify then that end of the ball. And he's also, I mean, the kid's freakishly athletic. He's six five. He's somebody who I think Dillingham could have a lot of fun with plug and playing because he's another versatile guy. He's a tight end and a wide receiver. I read it in an interview he did recently that Dillingham said he was recruiting him first as a tight end, but that we want to slide him out in the slot. Can you imagine that big of a guy out in the slot against, you know, you know, probably a nickel or something like that. So I think that, that he's he's a potential really fun, shiny toy for the offense to play with. And uh those offensive guys are going to be really, really crucial just for filling out the things that we're gonna need to have a you know that Oregon's gonna need to have a complete, you know, team out there that's that's really capable of competing with the best and getting back to the
1: potential playoff. I was muted. I am I'm having some some pretty bad luck so far. We're gonna try to get Steven back in here. Thank you guys so much for the ones that stuck around. Um, wow, man, uh, it's, it's not fun having, having Wi-Fi like this. So this is exactly why I got internet, but you just gotta, you gotta roll with the punches folks. So we were, we were talking about boarding him, uh, when we were last on here, uh, before the, uh, internet completely died on me. Um, so we can hop back in there and, and, uh, talk more about that and kind of give our, our final thoughts. Um, I'm just trying to see if I can text Steven right now, um, to, to get this thing back on the road, uh, and just get everybody in here. All right. So, uh, we'll keep talking about Boardingham. Uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, from what I've heard from, from some of my sources, Oregon feels good about, you know, how the, um, how the, uh, visit went, um, and I think that that's obviously bodes well, you know, being around the the recruits and uh, you know the basketball game. I think there were a lot of uh, recruits that went to that, which is great. Um, and when when you're looking at the need for the Ducks, I think that they would be you know well served to to add a guy like Boardingham in the the 2022 class, given the the wide receivers uh, that they have on the roster right now. Um, I think that you know the the wide receiver depth isn't ideal, uh, so adding a guy like Boardingham can can certainly help that. I think you feel good about where the tight ends are at right now, uh, and uh, especially with Montebell and Ferguson. Um, and I kind of think about uh, you know a Jawan Johnson kind of situation when I think about Boardingham. You know, maybe he's more athletic than Johnson, but he did really well when he was at Oregon, and we uh, we we have Steven back in here, so welcome back, man. Yeah, of course. So uh okay, yeah, we're kind of just giving some final thoughts on Boardingham. Uh I kind of threw out Jawan Johnson as uh, you know, kind of a, a bigger body wide receiver that the Ducks have had in recent years. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to add on Boardingham? Yeah, he also kind of reminds me a little bit of Devin Williams. And I think it just
2: again shows that having that really big body wide receiver on the outside or tight end that you can throw to is just a really, a really impactful part of the offense. Um you know the ducks. I think the last few years, obviously it was under Cristobal and and Moorhead, but they they did they had some really interesting sets that included uh, tight ends, uh, at DJ Johnson specifically, kind of playing both sides of the ball. And so DJ Johnson's a great athlete, but he's 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 not a, a born wide receiver tight end guy. So. Uh, again, it kind of just goes back to if he if he comes to Oregon, I think that the sets that we're going to be able to that Dillingham is going to be able to set up with him um, are just going to be really fun to see, and it's going to be uh, potentially nightmarish for
1: defenses. So yeah, he's a guy to to keep an eye on. Uh, again, like we said before, everything went haywire. Uh, he's not going to be announcing tomorrow. Um, you know, it looks like for him, it could be um, you know later in the week, or maybe even bleed over into next week. Um, but this is a really tight battle between Oregon and Florida. I know Florida's done a great job of making sure that he feels like a priority and then really kind of selling the vision that they have over there under Billy Napier, getting things started. Um, and just while we were on the topic of you know, wide receivers, we can uh, put another question up here, I think, Stephen. Um, the question is, how concerned are you guys with our wide receiver depth slash recruits? seems like the room is both young and light compared to previous years. Not a recruiting nerd, but seems like something that is being overlooked. Uh, do you want to start uh, with this one? I feel like I've been kind of going first for a bit, Stephen. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if
2: overlooked is is how I would put it. Uh, more, I think, just kind of situationally, what the duck, the where the ducks find themselves, and where the chips have kind of just aligned, uh, both with transfers and just guys aging out or just trying to go to the or deciding to go to the NFL. It is certainly a really young room. However, I think the potential in that room is is really high i think chris hudson is somebody who's going to or he's going to be huge next year he showed it he showed a ton of promise uh towards the end of the season alamo bowl uh you know against oregon state so i, I think that he's somebody to keep keep your eye on and be you know very excited about in that room um, I think that that's a position where I'm just looking to go glass half full on it. That's the way I think about it. I'm, I'm I'm deciding to be optimistic about the youth factor. So we'll see if that comes back to bite me and bite the ducks. But that's just how I've, I, I've thought about it recently. It's a really good question. And that's just something where I'm deciding that that for me is going to be a strength that I'm going to focus on in terms of how I have an outlook for that.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a good way to look at it too. And I feel like just based on what we've seen on the recruiting trail and then coming out of the transfer portal, I I think that's probably how the staff is looking at it a little bit, right? You know, you see Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, uh, Chris Hudson, you know, really coming on at the end of the season, Uh, Isaiah Croker is going to be back. Um, But man, it's been just a total overhaul, uh, you know, since, uh, you know, the summer really at at the wide receiver spot, you know, you had T-Mac, committed Nicholas Anderson. Um, you also had Isaiah Satania who's now going to Arkansas. He was a track guy that I, he was probably one of the guys I was most excited about in Oregon's mm-hmm. 2022 recruiting class. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stefan Johnson was also committed and uh, you know, those guys are, are all uh, you know, they've all signed with other programs or, or since he committed. So ducks add justice low local guy out of the Portland uh, Lake Oswego area. Um, you know, a, a track guy that I think they're really excited about the potential that he has. But I think another direction I want to go with this question that I think some people are asking as fans, Stephen, is how much do you think Oregon's past couple seasons, you know, post-Justin Herbert, how much do you think their passing offense is maybe affecting how well they're going to be able to recruit the wide receiver position uh, just by nature of what we've seen on the field? I think that's a really fantastic question.
2: It's it's something that I think has a really big impact when it comes down to it. I think Micah Pittman in that situation certainly didn't help because that's a guy who's not only a huge name and, and in my opinion, had a really, really great overall Oregon career in the time that he was here. Uh, His brother is a big name NFL guy, obviously, you know, went to USC. So that, that, how that all unfolded where he essentially like, came out after saying, yeah, the reason I left was simply because they weren't throwing me the ball and I'm a wide receiver and I need to be able to, you know, get the ball thrown to me. So simple as that. Um, yeah. I think that and, and even with Herbert, like Max, let's be real. I think that Herbert was totally underutilized in Mario's system. I mean, that's where I think a lot of the negative feedback came from GMs when Herbert was in the draft process is he just wasn't able to show everything that he had. And I think it's obviously proof what he's doing in the NFL that he was underutilized and wasn't really able to, you know, completely go into that toolbox and just let loose based off of what the coaches gave him, you know, in terms of the playbook. So I think that that is something that Lanning's going to, he should be cognizant of because you nailed it. I think, I think that that's something where if, a, all of these guys want to go to the NFL, especially the four and five star guys, okay. The big name players, they all have NFL aspirations. And in order to do that, they need to put on tape and receivers blocking is a huge skill that they need to have but stock blocking is not something that is going to get you drafted in the first round of the nfl okay you need to get the ball thrown into your hands you need to have wide open speed and space as much as you possibly can but you can't obviously abandon the running game so there has to be the balance that crystal ball just never had and uh i think herbert's lack of utilization and then what happened after with brown with shuck you know and just never opening the offense up could be detrimental. That's why the guys that we have now that are in the room, it's so crucial for the team to perform next year and be able to have more of an open offense.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: next year's offense is going to be, you know, just crucial for for Dan Lanning and and Kenny Dillingham and, and, you know, how they ultimately want the offense to look at Oregon. You know, obviously Lanning's a a defensive guy, but, you know, he's going to have some say in how the offense looks. Um, And the the product that they put on the field next year is going to really, I think play a role in the talent that they're able to recruit because you look at the past couple of years, Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown, and even with the coaching change, you're telling me there's no wide receivers in in the high school ranks or the transfer portal that want to play for Oregon? Like, I think that that's, I mean, that's obviously not the, the whole story, but like, you kind of look at that and you kind of just wonder like, wow, is that, is that really the case? I'm sure there were guys that, that probably wanted to come to Oregon that maybe the staff just had to say, hey, you know, this just isn't, isn't the right fit for us. Or, you know, we're, we we want to use our roster spots elsewhere. I'm sure that's probably something that happened. Um, cause you looked at Jacob, Jacob Cowling. He's a guy who transferred from UTEP, I believe. Um, and he, he committed Arizona. Um, so I feel like there were probably guys out there in the portal that, that is, uh, you know, that, that wanted to come to Oregon at some point, but maybe the, the staff just wants to, you know, use those spots for, for something else. Um, and there was another point I think I wanted to make with, uh, on the topic of receivers, but. But yeah, you at the end of the day, you gotta get tape to you know show NFL teams. To your point, um, oh, that was the other point I was gonna make. Sorry, it just came back to me. I think another thing that's interesting in this conversation is how much the whole high-powered, high-flying offense—I hate to use this word—but narrative has still stuck stuck with Oregon, um, because that's not what it is. I mean, it definitely hasn't been what it is in these past couple of years when when Cristobal was here but you still talk to people and and I feel like there's, they still think about, you know, the flashiness, the the speed, the excitement, but man, the Oregon offense has just been boring. I mean, you you well, see a lot of good, you know, run plays, but there's not that yeah. flare. There's not that explosion um, that, that you see uh, for the, from other teams that have, you know, more developed prominent passing attacks.
2: Yeah. And I think that really speaks to the lack of identity that I think the program has had or lacked since chip, left for for philadelphia is that that's Oregon at that point you know it was nationally known as that high-flying brand and it's i mean where you live in eugene like every time that you know i'm anywhere talking about the ducks somebody's going to mention like how much they miss chip and how much they miss you know 70 points you know a game that kind of thing even though it wasn't that high but obviously you get my point so it's it and then after after chip you know, Helfrich, that was just a dumpster fire the way that ended. And then uh, with with Taggart, wasn't there long enough to establish an identity. He just more embraced the swag than anything else. And then Cristobal, for me, he's somebody who, obviously, huge, imposing figure, you know, uh, I saw, uh, I believe it was uh, John Canzano. I thought he put it really well in an article I read from him. He said he's got the Navy SEAL mentality with Navy SEAL quotes and makes you want to run through a wall. But, like, that's just – great that makes you want to like hit somebody that's awesome okay but like you have to have more than that if you're going to have an identity as a football team it goes more than just wanting to hit somebody in the mouth like that's a given it's football if you're going to if you're going to play football you better hit somebody in the mouth so that just can only take your team so far and so i think they've just lacked an identity in general and that lack of identity has fans like yearning for what we had most recently in terms of an identity which is that high-flying chip offense you're right that time has passed it, it clearly was passed with Cristobal the way he recruited it to, to to try to make Oregon a more run focused, traditional SEC sort of, you know, recruiting style heavy on the offensive line, punch it, uh, you know, punch it, uh, uh, punch the rock all the time, have the quarterback arguably act as a running back more than he does a quarterback. You know, that's all past SEC style, um, but it was never something that was fully embraced, obviously, by the fan base since people are still clamoring for that offense. so it's going to be really important. I think for, for landing in these, in these first two, three years to figure out what that identity is and then establish it, lock it in. We, so that everybody on the team in the stadium, everybody knows what Oregon's going to be, or at least what they're going to look to be every week on the field.
1: Man. I I love that point. You got to get an identity and, and lock it in, but going off of that, Oregon was kind of, la- I mean, I don't want to say they were lacking in identity. We knew what their identity was. It was, we're going to pound the ball down your throat and we're not going to change or deviate from that unless we absolutely have to, right? Unless you stop the the run. Um, so I think you look at that, but Stephen, look at the recruits that they were able to to ultimately get to Eugene and then that they had in place at the wide receiver spot for 2022. Uh, you know, obviously a tremendous amount of credit has to go to Brian McClendon uh, for, for recruiting those guys. Uh, you know, Dante Thornton, Isaiah Brevard, Trevor, uh, Troy Franklin, excuse me, that are here in Eugene, but that 2022 class was loaded. Obviously everything's changed now. And, and none of those guys are, are going to be here that were formally committed, but it's possible. It's possible. If you can get a team like the, the ducks have been these past few years and getting them loaded up on top tier recruits, like they have been. I mean, if you get a solid identity, one uh, more of a balanced offense, um and you know one that passes the ball a lot more I feel like this The I mean I feel like they could get even better I don't know do you think that's you know crazy talk
2: no 100 percent. and I mean the identity is another thing that's a, a you know a positive thing that you can pitch to recruits on both sides of the ball but if we're talking specifically offensively I think it's extremely attractive to recruit if you can tell them look at the defense I've brought in Right. This is the identity or look at the identity. we. This is the identity that we have. Do you want to be a part of this identity? Right. That's the first thing. If that's the case, if if this is what you're looking for when you're trying to in these formative years of becoming a man and, you know, the program that you're looking to be a part of. First, that identity is the most important thing. And then into that, you add the different pieces of it. Right. So if we're having if you're having the conversation of an offensive player who's playing for a defensive minded coach, you've got to be able to establish, hey, part of our identity is. X, Y, Z in the offense, and this is how you fit into that X, Y, Z. Okay. So it's incredibly important just for that all encompassing, you know, overall recruiting aspect.
1: Yeah. I, I love that point for sure. And and I think another, since we're just on the re- the receiver topic, I can't believe I didn't think of this, but this is the very reason that we have you guys here. And while we have the chat function, Josh T says, if he's still here, assuming Addison is going to have to, Go back to full time wide receiver again, in my opinion. Brian Addison, uh, obviously, played at a uh, safety last year for the Ducks. Originally came in out of the uh, 2018 class out of uh, Jay Sarah out in Gardena, listed on the Oregon roster at 6'4, 183. Um, you know, he, you saw him his uh, freshman year seeing some time at wide receiver um and he's going to be one of the you know wild cards for for this team i think steven you know this is josh has a great point i think maybe things haven't been great at at safety for him you know he hasn't really been able to break through too much he did get an interception when he when he played last year so i got to give him credit where credit's due but you look at the the depth the situation with the depth at wide receiver and and uh addison's the guy who has experience playing there um you know you hate to move a guy back and forth too much, but maybe this is a move that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, if,
2: if he was sort of thrust into that safety position and honestly, I thought he played well, especially, I mean, hopefully I'm not getting this completely wrong, but if my memory serves me correctly, he played really well against Colorado specifically. And uh, either way, if you have a kid who's at one position and you've got injuries and you can immediately plug him in on the other side of the ball, to me, that says a lot about the guy. And so, He's clearly an athlete, great size, six four. I love having those six four plus guys out on the edge at wide receiver because when you get into the red zone, it's the toughest place to score. And being able to just throw it up against a you know a corner who's five eight, five, nine, five ten, and have that guy just immediately have a six foot or a six inch advantage without even jumping is a really important thing. So, you know, I could see him, I could see the ducks doing that depending on what happens with with signings right depending on what the room looks like it all depends on the room if they're comfortable if they're comfortable with where they're at at post signing day and heading into the spring in the wide receiver room um i say he proved enough to me at safety that i think he'd be able to really shine there if that's what he focused on but i do think he's a guy where this is probably a time in his career where we're figuring out okay where are you going to play and what are you going to be? And that's what you're going to end your, end your duck career as. So that'll be an interesting thing to see. And I think it depend it entirely depends on the, the class and what the room looks like.
1: Yep. So, yeah, we'll have to see what the, see if the ducks get any more. I think that, that would be a good, <clears throat> excuse me, a good answer to uh, it was Matthew's question earlier about kind of off the radar signings. I'd be really surprised if they added a wide receiver at, at this point, um, you know, outside of Birmingham, uh, Boardingham, excuse me. Uh, who we talked about, but um, yeah, thanks for thanks for this question, Josh. I think that is a, a great um, you know possibility to think of uh, right now and kind of mull over as we're in the offseason. You know, am I saying that it's likely? Not necessarily, but I think it's one of the options that is on your roster that you maybe have some some flexibility with. So uh, thanks thanks for bringing that to our attention, Steven, I know another point that I wanted to talk about here. Um, that is, you know, some fresher news, uh, while we kind of maybe wait for some more people to, to throw some questions our way, Caleb Williams, uh, finally off the board, uh, the former Oklahoma Sooners quarterback, uh, quarterback, uh, announcing his commitment to USC, uh, along with, uh, you know, joining Lincoln Riley, reuniting with him in LA. Uh, that was a, you know, the, arguably the biggest name in the transfer portal. Um, you know, from the moment that he announced that he would be entering the portal and, and he's finally going to LA. We're all super shocked. Right. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts here and, and see what uh, you know, some of our viewers and listeners think.
2: Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to begin with is that it, it, it's weird to me that this finally breaks now. And it was the worst. It's like, we all knew this was going to happen. It's not like he was going to go anywhere else. I mean, this is the coach that, you know, supplanted him over what a lot of people thought might be a Heisman front runner going into last season and Spencer Rattler. So of course he's going to go to usc like what what did we think was going to happen so i just thought that it was funny that the thing that we all knew was going to happen took our took probably the longest to really officially materialize um to me it's a it's you know it's exciting because the oregon usc rivalry is officially it's officially back on it's officially back on with riley and lanning with with recruiting in the battles that are going on right now with florence picking oregon over usc like it's back it's back on uh unfortunately the two the two teams do not play this upcoming season in the regular season against each other um but going forward this is going to be you know Oregon and USC excitement you know rivalry again so I think that that just kind of points to what we should be expecting here in the next couple years is going to be big lands for USC and then on the flip side of the coin Oregon punching right back and I think they did that you know very timely with Florence officially committing uh you know right around the time that that news officially broke for will for caleb williams and so um it, it also kind of it highlights the guys who are running the programs you know lincoln riley offensive genius you know that's clearly where he's going to be putting his focus in terms of attention to the game oklahoma never really had that you know, great defense is kind of their downfall in a lot of their, in a lot of their, uh, you know, bigger games, especially when they did make it into the playoff. And so um, we know he's not going to be defensive focused. And then on the other side of the coin, Dan Lanning the ultimate defensive mind and the defensive genius behind the Georgia defense that just won the title. And so the, both the differences in philosophies, but both, you know, also the big splashes at similar times. It's just exciting to me that this is what we're going to be getting for the next, the next couple of years here. Now, I would love to get your opinion on this, Max. I think, and honestly, I promise, guys, this is not a biased opinion. I think that with the two different coaching changes at both teams, I think that Oregon is going to, quote-unquote, bounce back quicker than USC is. I think that it's going to take USC and Riley a little bit longer to – you know, get the train rolling there down in Southern California. Whereas I think what's established up here in Eugene is much more primed and ready to roll, um, you know, regardless of kind of big names in terms of the transfer portal and, and the recruiting cycle. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, no, but no doubt. I mean, and you got to think with, with Oregon, I don't really think that they're necessarily bouncing back because you're talking about a 10, win season. Which which is nothing to to scoff at, you know. Going ten and four, obviously things didn't end the way they wanted to uh, at the Alamo Bowl. Um, You know, kind of a tale of two halves is kind of what we talked about in our uh, previous podcasts on on the channel. Um, But yeah, two very different situations. You know, uh, Mario said it in his exit interview. You know, I left three top ten classes there on the roster, and some of the best players are just puppies. Um, so I thought that was a really spot on, you know, comparison and, and some insight into what the ducks still have in Eugene with Cristobal leaving and, you know, to, to you know, flip it on its head. If you're looking in, at USC, uh, you know, they still have some, some good players and, you know, this 2022 class is, is certainly a good start, but they're definitely looking like more of a rebuild. I feel like, as I say this, maybe I'm going to, I don't want to end up in one of those like uh grayed out or blacked out videos where like, they're like taking Uh, the journalists uh, you know, stupid take from before the season or something, but I will go and say this. I mean, they are off to a tremendous start with recruiting, but none of that means a single thing. If you can't put together the on-field product, which is exactly what Oregon fans learned uh, under Mario Cristobal, because that, I mean, you see there's tremendous players that have come through here and that are still here, but if they're not utilized properly and if you can't get out of your own way with play calling, then it doesn't really mean a whole lot. But um And just
2: real quick on that, I think it also sort of highlights, um, you know, where expectations come with highly ranked recruiting classes. So with Cristobal, when he was here and he had those three top 10 classes, I mean, from, from being a boots on the ground season ticket holder perspective, being in the stands every weekend, like there were national championship playoff aspirations. I promise you, like whether they were founded or not, they were there and they were abundant. Okay. So that I think a lot has to do with, with the, those, the the number of those classes in terms of ranking coming in, like we have all these four and five star guys, we've got these top 10 classes, like where's, why aren't we looking like it on the field and football is something to me where it's, it's one of the most intricate games to really understand that it's core. And with all of the moving parts that happen, that's why quarterback is such a hard position to play and why the MVP of the NFL is almost always a quarterback. It's because, it's, it's such an intricate game, but at the same time, it's one that's very simple to see when people are not playing it. Right. You know what I mean? And that sort of, that shows a lot when you can clearly see that the guys on the field are incredibly talented, super athletic, but the scoreboard doesn't reflect it. And then, so once you have that two, three years in a row, um, I'm not trying to like bash on crystal ball here and like his coaching or anything nope, like yeah, that. It's under mine. Um, but I think it really just does show where expectations kind of line up with recruiting classes. And I just think that that's, it's good and bad, right? Because expectations, I think were over, they were unreasonably high for myself included. Oregon didn't have a team that was going to make it to the, to the national championship this year. If we look back in are real with ourselves and Monday morning quarterback, the entire season, like they weren't a national championship team and that's fine. That's okay. There's only two of them in the country that make it, but, The expectations were there and, and if, if, as long as recruiting stays high, they're going to remain
1: there. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think with, with USC, there's, there's still a lot of work uh, to be done. You know, I think the biggest critique that a lot of people want to latch onto there with what the Trojans have, as far as their on-field product right now, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the trenches. Uh, You know, you see, you see that there's, you know, if you can't win the line of scrimmage, then, you know, you're. You're not doing yourselves any favors and you're ultimately, you know, kind of capping yourself for how, how far you can really, you know, take your team. I think with, with Oregon, uh, we saw them more often than not dominate the offensive uh, line of scrimmage, but not enough on the defensive line of scrimmage. I, I think we've talked about that or Dylan and I have talked about that in a previous podcast, but um, I really feel like the, the talent on the roster has predominantly been uh, when we're talking about the trenches uh, the on the offensive line. Uh, versus, you know, um, having more of those big time names on the defensive line. So I think Landing's arrival is is the per- coming at the perfect time from that perspective to to get some of those big time defensive line names. But yeah, so just just to kind of you know put a bow on on the USC conversation. I mean, that being good is good for the Pac-12, and in turn, it's good for Oregon. You know, certainly it's going to make some recruiting battles harder to win out there in Southern California, but. I think that if USC is, is in the mix and, and they're a, a good team, it's going to make the Pac-12 and Oregon look better because it'll make, if Oregon can beat USC when they're good, it'll, uh, you know, be, you know, something they can, um, I'm trying to think of the phrase, but it's uh you know, something they can put, it's a resume builder. When you're looking at the the postseason and the college football playoff, if they are in that discussion, Hey, look, we beat USC. Uh, you know, they were led by Caleb Williams and all this ridiculous skill talent and Dan Lanning, and uh, the Oregon defense really came and, and helped shut it down. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in
2: USC every year is going to be, you know, a little overhyped just because of the glitz and glam that goes with it. I think, I think we have. Yeah, Mikey said it perfectly. I mean, it's just another, just another year of USC only helping teams that beat them early. Yeah, that's what happens. At least of late, they're ranked way higher than they should be. They. You know, play some non-conference teams that look like they have a top 25 win and they can put that on their resume and, and that's that. So USC is, USC is not close to where USC has been in our lifetime in terms of success. But they do have some sort of built-in advantages, especially when we're talking about where we're at, you know, in society with, you know, being a digital society in L.A. and, you know, Hollywood, La La Land, all that goes with that. So, you know, those are some kind of built in things that I kind of obviously sort of just go into that hype machine naturally um, that, are, that Oregon or, you know, really most other teams in the Pac-12 don't have, but it all just comes down to, like you said earlier at the very beginning at this point, like it doesn't matter what you can put on the, on the recruiting sheet if you can't do anything with it on the field.
1: Exactly. So I think that there, you know, people are going to learn that lesson I think that uh, I'll hop in the Twitter spaces, um, and you know, Miami fans are, uh, you know, kind of going back and forth with Oregon fans, you know, saying that you know all the recruiting's great, but there's there's still kind of a limit when you have some of that mindset like uh, <clears throat> like Cristobal had. So I have a couple more questions I wanted to hit on here, Stephen, uh, and then we'll kind of wind down. Um, again, sorry for the technical difficulties, everybody. Thank you so much for for sticking around. Um, this is a, an interesting one from from Nick. He says so in my eyes, cornerback has gone from big need to maybe overloaded. Wide yeah. receiver is still not adequately addressed, in my view. Any new cornerbacks, possible wide receiver prospects instead. Uh what what do you, you look like you wanted to say something on this one, Steven? You want to tackle it to start? Oh, sure. I mean, I just I think that's spot on because it sort of is what has
2: happened in the last uh days and weeks here is that going into the final stages of the recruiting uh, you know, process here in, in January, you know, late December, I was worried about corner. And then, you know, we've got Gonzalez that comes in from, from Colorado. And then we've got Florence, which is great, super stoked on it. But um, adding some other names as well. And, and the cornerback room is, I think, very solid right now. Um, so wide receiver, uh, again, in this class may not be – adequately addressed you're right in terms of where fans might want to see it but that goes back to the young guys that that are on the roster now and and obviously it depends on them staying healthy but that to me is the ultimate kind of uh indicator of where this receiver room is is that we're going to be that Oregon's going to be going in a young receiver direction but with led by the guys who are already in the room and it's going to be a plug and play sort of situation after that I don't want to say they're going to be cobbling pieces together because they're not it's Oregon they're going to have you know, enough interest in guys with, from guys who can actually, who can play, but um, yeah, corner, corner seems much more solid now than it was a, a mere week or two ago.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I think, I like the the depth that they've kind of, uh you know, uh, shored up a little bit at corner. I think it's another important thing to think about though, Steven is uh corner is not a position that's easy to start at as a true freshman um you know I think best case you get you know some some decent contributions out of uh you know one of these guys in the 2022 class I mean I'd love to have even more of that uh, you know if if I'm looking at this from an Oregon perspective but um you know getting the guys to play early as a true freshman as as corners is is not an easy ask you know you got the the Derek Stingley's of the world that are you know they don't miss a beat when, when they come in right um But I like I I you know just on that topic. There's another guy that I wanted to talk about in the 2022 class that's kind of on Oregon's radar. Uh, Jalen Davis Robinson out of Waxahachie High School out in Texas. He was uh, out here for an official visit uh, two weekends ago, um, and then most recently uh, made it out to Baton Rouge after LSU offered um, last week. So he's someone to to keep an eye on. um, That I guess that Oregon fans have been keeping an eye on. Rather, Um, I think that one's down to Oregon and LSU. Um, my gut tells me LSU on, on that one, um, you know, just because they got the last visit, you know, the, the defensive back culture there is crazy. It's closer to home. And uh, I know that Brian Kelly has a lot of excitement, uh, you know, uh, around that program right now. So I, I, I do think that the, the Ducks are probably done at corner, um, you know, if I had to take my guess, uh, but could certainly, you know, maybe we see them keep a a spot or two for a wide receiver that that gets on the market later um you know kind of down the line what do you think about that yeah i would first i I chuckled
2: earlier because i think brian kelly might be having a little too much fun over at lsu right now with the dbs that he's recruiting yeah he's getting groovy on the video that was so painful to watch oh my god but can i find um, it i want to
1: put it in the stream
2: yeah throw it i mean i'm sure everybody's seen it who's in this but wow um so i think he he might be having a little too much fun down there in baton rouge but um yeah lsu for a db is like you know it's 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 a dream school for a lot of dbds or dbds dbs and uh it's uh, that's 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 something that i you know i think that that's probably that's where I think he's he might go. I guess his his visit went really well in Eugene. Ba- again, based off of what I've heard uh, from that lately, he's one of those guys where I, I I really like corners who are who are six feet tall and above, and they're 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 rare. Again, most corners are, are shorter than that. I think that it's just incredibly important to have that those lanky, athletic guys out there covering those, you know, those ones out on the on the outside that are, you know, six four plus. You need all the height you can get. You need all the length 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 you can get. And uh, he's one of the he's somebody that basically satisfies both of those requirements. Uh, super athletic kid, but um, yeah, I I, I think LSU might be in the driver's seat there.
1: we'll keep an eye on that recruitment uh, to see what uh, ultimately happens when he announces his decision. Um, I did find the Brian Kelly video, so I'm going to go ahead and share it uh, here on Twitter. Um, I, I muted it though. Cause I don't want, um, I don't want any like copyright strikes or anything to come on with with music, but I just, think it'll
2: still come off across just look as powerful. At, yeah. <laughs> look at Brian
1: Kelly. I, Part of me was
2: at first when I saw this, I saw Lane Kiffin's tweet and I was like spot on when, when Lane Kiffin was like, did you lose a bet? Like, is this Photoshopped? Like, but then I was thinking and I saw somebody talk about this uh, on some show and they were like, I don't know if Brian Kelly, he didn't ever get to do this at Notre Dame, right? This isn't how Notre Dame recruits. And so I'm like, maybe shoot, maybe he's just just, he's just like, can't contain his enthusiasm. I'm, like what? I get to dance? I get to dance. Let's dance. Let's dance. I don't care that I've clearly never done this with a recruit in my life. You know, if anything, go back to back, bro. I mean, it looks like they're just learning to dance at a middle (laughs) school, like, you know, three, you know, a tri-school dance for the county. And they're just leaving a little bit of room for Jesus, you know. So, like, I, uh, but he's clearly having the time of his life down, down there, doing it differently than they did up in South Bend.
1: Yeah, sorry that was too cringe for anybody, but uh, just wanted to make it one note. we see Mike Mikey Mike G saying, make it stop? Um, uh, so yeah, that's wild. But um, since we were talking about corners and how that was a big need, and then receiver was a big need, I think this would be a, an interesting, um, an interesting question to, to kind of end it on. This one comes from uh, I think it's it's Dante Butterfly, but I thought it was like Dainty Butterfly is what maybe he. What they were trying to say, but the question is Westview receiver chose Michigan. And with the potential of Harbaugh leaving, I wonder if he could change his mind. So for people who, you know, don't know who we're talking about here, that's Darius Clemens uh, out of Westview. He's a 2022 wide receiver. Um, and, and he was uh, you know, in an awesome uh, spot for Oregon was in a great spot with him, uh, you know, Cristobal and then ultimately McClendon leaving, you know, really kind of a, did them in as far as, you know, losing out on on Darius Clemens. Um, We're still waiting to see if, um, you know, uh, Harbaugh is officially going to leave Michigan. Uh, The report's coming out today uh, that he'd be taking the Vikings job, but I believe he's supposed to, to interview either tomorrow or on Thursday. Um, So either way though, there's smoke and you you know, how it goes when there's smoke, there's fire. So I think if, if Harbaugh does end up going to, uh, you know, take a job in the NFL, I think, I don't really know how that would work because Clemens is already enrolled from my understanding. Um, but man, if if, it, if this would be a situation where Oregon could circle back around and, and get a guy like Clemens, man, that would just be a massive ad.
2: Yeah. I I, I read that he was actually interviewing tomorrow with the Vikings. So I think okay. not, that's a lot of smoke to me. Cause if you're interviewing on signing day, like you're not going to be talking to recruits and, you know, talking about who you just signed. So I think at this point, it's probably a foregone conclusion, sort of surprising to me, just on a Harbaugh note that he takes the Vikings job. I, But, you know, I'm not surprised he's leaving Michigan. I don't think there's really based off of all the flack he took the past three, four years prior to the season at Michigan. I think the, where they went this year, uh, beating Ohio state the way they did going to the playoff, winning the big 10, um, he can't really leave on much higher of a note than, than winning the national championship. And as you can see, that was a really tough road to him to even get in sniffing distance of. So, you know, I'm not surprised that he's leaving or, you know, that that it looks like he's leaving, but I am surprised it's the Vikings because Harbaugh's, somebody who gets real in depth with his quarterbacks as a Niners fan. We know that he's somebody that plays catch with the quarterbacks before the game, the quarterback to him, he played quarterback. So he knows what it, he knows what, uh how important that is uh to the team. And so in that relationship amongst the coach and just sheesh, if I'm going into a job in Minnesota and I'm looking at Kirk cousins as the quarterback and Kellen Mond on the bench, I'm not stoked about my situation in terms of winning. So it's sort of surprising to me that he's thinking about taking that job. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. So, you know, apologies for the kind of sideways rant there on Harbaugh. But um, if he's interviewing on signing day was the moral of that story, I think he's gone. And that for Michigan blows up everything. You thought it might've been bad when Cristobal left at the end of the season. Um, it's going to be horrible for Michigan. And so there's going to be a lot of guys. You're right. If he's already enrolled, um, I don't know if that gets sticky, but you know where the transfer portal is and how basic, seamless. It almost is now for guys to, to switch. I don't see a situation where that doesn't work out again. I'd have to r- brush up on my transfer rules there, but um, that would be a huge gift for Oregon and, and just for Michigan in general, there's going to be a lot of guys up for play. That's just what's going to happen.
1: What's so crazy to me about this. Steven is like, you know, I think the whole story with Harbaugh taking the the Michigan job, it was you know, he comes back to his alma mater. He wants to restore them to greatness I, I thought that, um, I, I thought that, um, like, you know, you finally get over the Ohio state hump and now you're going to leave and you make it to the playoffs. Like it feels like Michigan hasn't been to these heights in, in a long, long time. They're a, another one of those, uh, brands that is just in awesome position to capitalize off of NIL. You got the tradition. It seems like the pieces are really in place, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just weird with, you know, um, people coming back and forth between the NFL and, and college ranks. Um, you know, you, we, I think back to, uh, you know, Chip Kelly go starting in the, in college and then going to coach the Niners and the Eagles, and then comes back to coach UCLA. And then there, he was in the conversation for head coach at Oregon before they got landing. It's just wild, man, having all this movement. Um, and I'm just like, I don't even know. I don't even know what's, uh, what to expect anymore. Yeah, I mean that's that's just again
2: the nature of the beast, as you just hit on with you know naming a bunch of people that sort of have fallen into that category. But again, just circling back with Harbaugh's specific situation, I mean, you know, my my family is a University of Michigan family, so I'm, I've always been pretty dialed into what's going on with that that program. And there were people flying banners over practice two years ago saying fire Harbaugh. Okay, his contract was totally redone before this season solely to make it easier to fire him. That was literally it. He took a pay cut and his buyout got reduced so they can get rid of him easier. Like that, that's why they did that. This was supposed to be his final year anyways. He just, the team just wildly outperformed on expectations. And so that sort of makes you wonder how much of that may have played into this team. Like we're playing for Jim, we're playing for Jim Harbaugh and kind of, you know, especially with that Ohio State game, Michigan, I think was a better team overall than Ohio State this season. But I don't know if they were a better team by that many points when they played them in terms of the drubbing that they, that they dished them. So that was inspired football. That's a, that's a situation of clearly inspired football that they played. I think they played it all year. And for Jim, it's like, what are we, how you caught lightning in a bottle, you caught lightning in a bottle and you almost won a national championship. Are you going to be able to do that again? I don't know. So for him, I think it's like, this is leaving us about as on top as he possibly could um, compared to where things were, two years for two years ago for him like he's a They're, hot commodity again he wasn't a hot commodity two years ago
1: yeah no for sure i mean you gotta think maybe he's from his standpoint you know career wise he's looking to, to capitalize off that momentum that he's built but i like the perspective there steven so i appreciate that um man we've been going for a while now after the technical difficulties uh so i think we're gonna wind it down but closing remarks Stephen. Uh, Oregon football, Oregon recruiting with signing day tomorrow, kind of where's your head at? Any final thoughts? I'm excited. I think
2: that there is going to be a splash of sorts or somebody off the radar that does sign that's going to you know, make some headlines. Um, not somebody that I can predict to be quite honest with you, like we mentioned earlier, but I think there is going to be one of those. Signing day, signing day is always exciting as we all know because it's a glimpse into the future of what your team's going to look like. Okay. And it's, it's doubly intriguing with the new staff, the shortened recruiting time, and being able to see, okay, there's been so much hype about Lanning and his recruiting uh, prowess, you know, the rest of the staff's recruiting prowess, the guys that they've brought in on the staff uh, to sh- to shore that up. Um, I think it's going to be a real interesting kind of test. It's all been kind of sun and roses out here in Eugene uh, since Lanning got hired in terms of, you know, optimism level. And tomorrow's our first real test as to you know, how far they've come in the last two months. So that's what I'm most excited about is to overall just see where things shake out, not necessarily in where the ranking is for the recruiting class, but with the specific pieces that we're able to plug in and see where the holes are gonna potentially be filled. I think that's the biggest thing. So that's what I'm really looking out for is position by position, as opposed to overall ranking of the class in the PAC 12 and nationally. I think that's going to be a better indicator after an entire season and cycle of recruiting for landing and company. So I'm just excited to see, you know, if they've really identified, uh, needs and then plug those needs.
1: Yeah. You you put it really great. Uh, Steven, you know, just, it's kind of, it's time to deliver, right. You know, all that, all that enthusiasm. What, what can you, can you put out, uh, I was going to say on the field, but what can you ultimately capitalize on and, and really get to get those signatures for, uh, you know, with, with those uh, top recruits that are still left on the board. One last guy that I want to talk about before we get out of here is a Marion Winston out of central Catholic uh, in the Portland area. He's a former commit that was uh, on campus this weekend. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Of the ducks, uh, you know, were were to get him back on board seeing that landing went in home. Don Johnson went in home. He's yep. one of those big figures out in Portland. Uh, and then Trajan Williams as well. He, he's still committed, but he didn't sign uh, during the early signing period. So um, I, I think that the Ducks, uh, you know, get two, two more top in-state prospects. And uh, one of them being an Oregon legacy with uh, Marion's older brother, Lamar, uh, being a former Duck. So, um, you know, I think we've gone over some, some great names to, to keep an eye on here uh, as the Ducks uh, head towards the finish line tomorrow. Uh, a reminder for you guys in the uh, in the live stream, stay tuned to Ducks Digest tomorrow for our signing day uh, tracker story so that you guys don't miss out on any of the latest uh, recruiting headlines and updates. Uh, and also go make sure to follow me on M-Touris, on Twitter at M-Touris Sports. that name right there on your screen. And if you're watching on YouTube, kindly ask that you take a second out of your day to go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It is free and it is a tremendous help. Uh, to the channel. And uh, before we get out of here, Steven, where can people find you? You can find me
2: first on Twitter, SB sports five, four, one working on the YouTube channel guys that will be up and running eventually promise. And uh, we'll keep you guys posted on that. And another thing that I briefly mentioned uh, while Max was getting uh, the internet things figured out. uh, But I want to say it again. Um, what we'd love to see in these, uh, in the comments from you guys is forum ideas, because I am, uh, running the forums here for ducks digest. And while I like to think that I come up with awesome stuff all the time, I think that I could definitely, you guys use your guys as help in, uh, you know, giving us some stuff. So basically if you guys give us a topic, uh, let us know, you can DM that to me or tweet me or tweet max, and then we will get that posted on the forum. Um, we'll obviously, you know, give you guys a shout out, make sure that you guys are recognized for, you know, bringing that to our attention. And, uh, that's really what we want to do with this forum guys is, you know, I see, I see the forums that oklahoma has and texas has and alabama has and there's a ton of engagement from guys and that's basically because the fans are the ones really helping to tell us what you want to talk about let's get there guys that's what we should do so tell us what you want to talk about in the forums as well uh, if you guys just drop some nuggets of that during the chat um i'll just be taking notes and be able to kind of log those and max and i'll get together and we'll post them so that's something that we're really trying to push and we would love to get more engagement on that so check out the ducks digest forums um and hit us up on twitter uh, to let us know what you guys want us to be posting about the more that uh, fans see, you know, the stuff that you guys want to talk about uh, the more that, you know, the entire ba- fan base comes together. And I think that's really, um, you know, that's a really, just one extra fun aspect of college football, right. Is is these fan bases and what we could talk about and get into, because there's so many different moving parts all the time. So uh, long spiel there, but yeah, the forums I think would love to get some inter- more interaction from you guys on that.
1: Appreciate the plug there, Steven. Uh, All right, guys, uh, that'll do it for uh, this episode of the Duck's Dish podcast. Uh, Kindly ask that you subscribe to the channel and uh, go ahead and share the show. You know, other Duck fans, we want to build the community, whether that be on the forums, on the podcast, here on the YouTube channel. Uh, That'd be a a big help. And um, we will see you guys tomorrow. Uh, I'll tweet out a a time and, and link for our next live show, our signing day edition live show. Um, hopefully my internet cooperates a little bit more than it did today. So thank you to all the real ones out there that, that stayed, uh, and, um, you know, rocked with us while we uh, got that figured out. Hopefully no technical difficulties tomorrow. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of the ducks dish podcast, and we will see you in the next one. Take care guys. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys.
0: This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently.